Hello, my name is Jessica Marvel, and you're listening to Ed Talks UK, your topical education news podcast from Hearts for Learning. Today, I have a lovely guest joining me, Charlotte Jackson, Teaching and Learning Advisor for Science at Hearts for Learning. Charlotte supports primary and secondary schools with their science programs. She is also an experienced hub leader for the Primary Science Quality Mark, which supports schools to evaluate and develop their science provision and has worked with schools in Hertfordshire, Cambridgeshire and Hampshire to achieve this quality mark. Most notably, she has recently focused on promoting a connection to nature across the curriculum. Charlotte also runs a primary school science subject leader cluster, and one of my own duties at Hearts for Learning is sending regular emails to these subject leaders. I have the utmost privilege to help her put together these fantastic newsletters with various topics that we were that were really well received by teachers, particularly over the lockdowns over the last year. And I can say even I have found the topic of nature and science to not just be fascinating, but truly uplifting. So Charlotte, Tell me, what first got you interested in nature exactly? Hi, thanks Jess. Um, so that's a great question. I think I've probably always been interested in um, nature. I think when I reflect back, I'm not sure really where that started. I think for many um, children, there's a, a natural curiosity um, and engagement and, and wonder with nature. Um, and I think for, for some people, sometimes during their um, teenage years, often that, that maybe they, they lose some of that. I think I was perhaps lucky to um, maintain that connection with nature. Um, and I'm sure we'll come on to questions later about the benefits of being connected with nature. And, and personally, uh, I find that nature's a, a real source of joy and sort of peace and calm. I think in my busy times of, of life, if I've uh, got lots of things to prepare for, or, or particularly if I'm uh, working on a, a written document, that actually I find the time to go outside and just stop and, and think and, and be in a, a green space or be in my garden um, can be really useful and actually really helps me reflect and, and organize my thoughts. I think it was in one of the autumn watches that they said nature can be a candlelight in our darkness, um, which I thought was just a, a lovely quote really. And I think many people found that they were engaging more with nature during those periods. I, I think it has had this really positive impact. And I think on children in particular, how, how do you think that during this lockdown period, this engaging with nature, how do you think it impacted on those children as well? Well, one of the things uh, that you mentioned in the introduction is um, I write a primary science subject leader um, email. And during the first lockdown, we tried to do that weekly um, to give um, our science leaders and teachers some ideas and suggestions of engaging science that children could do at home and both those children that they had in school as well. And we very quickly decided that actually in each email we were going to have something that was connected with nature and the outdoors. Um, it's a, a free resource that everyone has sort of some access to, even if it be, you know, just the weeds growing through the cracks in the pavement or uh, just a, a tiny little window box or small patch of grass. Um, and also there's many benefits that we get um, and children get from engaging. So we saw that as kind of central. And one of the things the subject leaders said to us is 
they had the highest engagement um, from children at home and parents with those outdoors activities. Um, and they had some really strong um, and positive feedback from parents, often from things like growing. Um, and I know from my personal experience, my local supermarket uh, was completely out of stock of, of compost and seeds. I remember I was trying to grow tomato seeds, uh, tomato plants, sorry, and I couldn't find tomato seeds anywhere. Um, so I think that probably wasn't just something that our schools were experiencing. I think that was um, something nationally uh, there's also uh, an annual competition uh, run by the Association for Science Education um, called the Great Bug Hunt. Um, and uh, that involves children just exploring a, an area outside, finding some insects and, and then do some research on that and reporting on it in any way. And actually, they said they had quite a lot of entries last year from um, children at home and from families. And again, the feedback they got from that was was brilliant. I think the parents really enjoyed um, sort of fostering that curiosity that their children had um, and really enjoyed the experience to kind of explore that. Um, and the RSPB, I found a, a really interesting article um, from them that said that during the first lockdown, they had a, a real increase in people visiting the website um, and particularly people looking at where to place bird boxes and bird feeders. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that I think we've always been a, a nation of, of bird lovers. I think we spend apparently more on bird feed than any other European country. Uh, but actually, again, during lockdown, I think that that increased even more. Mm -hmm. That's wonderful. It's wonderful to see children connecting with nature in that way, I think. And uh, I think it's important to look at that. What, it, what makes that good connection with nature, do you think? So I think that probably means slightly different things for, for different people. But um, I was uh, I've recently been writing about connecting with nature and talking about it um, at, at Hearts for Learning. Uh, and one of my colleagues uh, was asking me what I what I mean by that. Um, so I went away and had a had a look at some of the organisations out there and, and how they define a connection with nature. Um, and the RSPB talked about an enduring relationship, uh, which includes our emotions, so how we feel, our attitudes um, and our behaviours. And I thought that that was quite a, a good connection, uh, sorry, a good definition for me. Um, and I think it's about noticing and associating with and, and sort of experiencing um, nature. I think sometimes uh, we're all guilty of, of in our busy lives, um, sort of not having the time to, to stop and notice what's around us. Um, I read an article recently uh, where a lady described going for a walk and putting on her plant glasses. And I quite like that as an analogy that sort of if, if we're connected to the nature, I think we're perhaps a little bit more aware of what's around us um, and, and we notice the, the small changes, whether that be, you know, the changes coming with the seasons and, and what's what's happening around us. I think that there's a lot out there to notice um, on our doorsteps as well. I think that's and what I think we can also see is what children are getting out of that is also learning about social responsibility, you know, towards the world around them and nature and how because they're not just looking at these things and learning about it, but they're also learning how to look after the world around them. And I think that's such a great way for them that learning opportunity outdoors in nature. It's just it's wonderful to hear all about that as well. 
Um, we're really lucky here in Hertfordshire. I think we have a lot of access to green spaces, but I think we do have to acknowledge that there are some people who might not have that access. Um, do you think there are ways that we can, that people who might not have that access, what can they do about that? What, how, how can we make sure that those who might not be able to, to do that, how do we make sure that that happens? I think that's a great question and I think many of the um, reports that I've read and, and organisations talk about the fact that we don't all have equal access to, to wild spaces and, um, and gardens mm -hmm. um, and um, I think that's something that organisations are aware of. Um, I'm certainly very aware that I'm quite lucky now living in, in Hertfordshire. Um, I grew up in Portsmouth where there's slightly less access to um, green spaces. However, um, it is also by the sea. So I think one of the things we can do is, is knowing our local area and, and knowing what's um, around. Um, down the road uh, at the bottom of where I live, there's a tiny park. Um, it's really small, but actually I discovered last year that um, it's a great place to see bluebells and to see um, cow parsley and a range of other wild plants um, and animals there. So actually sometimes it's the small spaces where we can still encounter um, wildlife. There was uh, an article on the BBC of a, a lady who I think was in Bedford who during the first lockdown was um, writing the Latin names of plants that were growing up through the cracks. Mm -hmm. um, so just cracks in the pavement. Um, so in those kind of urban spaces. Um, and I think we we probably all have um, those around us. And even just the, the kind of patches of grass. I know a lot of um, councils are trying to leave areas of grass to, to grow um, and perhaps um, allow those kind of wildflowers. There's actually a campaign called No Mow May, uh, mm. which encourages us all um, to put our lawnmowers away, um, including people like councils, to put them away for May and allow the dandelions, the daisies, the buttercups um, and other wildflowers to grow and, and be a source of nectar for our pollinators. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think it's, you know, finding those spaces um, and some of the favourite activities that we sent home um, during lockdown, which were engaging with um, the natural world, were using sort of simple things that you might have at home. So things like vegetable tops, so vegetable scraps at the top of your carrots um, that you can leave in water and then um, you will get green shoots and you can plant that and grow your own plant from that. Um, and another favourite is something called germinating socks, which um, you can put uh, sort of an old pair of cotton socks, uh, make them sort of damp and put them on over shoes for children and then just walk around um, outside in a muddy area, anywhere where they're going to pick up seeds, uh, particularly like dandelion seeds, things like that. Um, so they can have great fun doing that. And then if you leave that sock um, in a warm sort of damp environment, uh, possibly in a sort of little plastic bag on a window, then you should get some seeds germinating. Uh -huh. That's so it, it's it's just kind of using some of the the free things that are around us um, and places like the RSPB they uh, talk about you know making bird feeders just from things in our recycling um, mm -hmm. so it's using milk bottles and and things like that. That's wonderful. Do you how, why do you think it's so important to have this connection to nature as well? So 
the benefits of, of connecting with nature, um, there's actually now a really wide body of evidence. Um, and I was researching this last year um, to do a session at our, our primary science conference. Um, and I, I found I could spend hours and hours reading, you know, more and more reports and, and being amazed by the benefits. Um, one of the things that's coming from these reports is that being connected to nature, spending time outdoors is really beneficial for our health and well-being, um, both our, our physical and mental health. And you may have heard of things like forest bathing um, and uh, green prescriptions. Um, so the idea of encouraging people to get outside and into forests and green spaces to um, really have benefits. Um, and one of the studies that I talked about that the science leaders were interested in uh, is there's actually a bacteria that's found in soil which is connected with um, a release of serotonin um, which is the hormone that makes us feel happy and relaxed um, so I think about that when I'm out there gardening now um, and and the benefits that come from that. One of my favourite David Attenborough um, quotes is no one will protect what they don't care about and no one will care about what they've never experienced so the first hand experiences that we gain um, from being outdoors and in, in nature um, really help to develop that um, feeling, that social responsibility that you mentioned earlier of, of wanting to um, protect the environment and, and the natural world around us. And David Attenborough often talks about um, the wonder that, that children get from nature. And I think every child deserves to be wonderstruck by the natural world. So experiencing that, that awe and wonder. Um, that's something I talk a lot about in science training. And I think often people think about um, sort of the, the chemistry and the, the explosions in science. But actually, I find that children are just as engaged with, with the natural world, whether that be the joy of holding a worm in their hands or, or seeing the the pill bug wood lice roll up into a tight little ball or bumblebees and, and looking at, you know, the wonder of how they fly, considering how how large they look. So these experiences, I think, really help to um, make the learning memorable and support that connection with the natural world and, and help young people to feel part of it and want to be guardians. Mm -hmm. um, and many studies have said that actually that connection with nature is a strong predictor of pro-environmental behaviours. Oh, that is true, I would say, definitely. Um, I have a question for you, a personal question. I have two teenage daughters mm -hmm. and teenagers are notoriously, you know, obsessed with electronics and devices and their social world. It's really hard to keep them engaged with nature around them and get them out of the house. You know, often there is always, always this, you know, amount of uh, responsibility about studying and exams so it can get really hard so what would you advise what would you you know what would you say was important and why is it important for those teenagers to try and get outdoors and connect with nature again well I think if we think about those benefits in terms of um, you know physical and, and mental health then I think that's a huge argument for encouraging them to, to get outside, um, particularly if you think about some of the stresses um, of teenage life and, and preparations for examinations and, and all of those challenges that they have to face. Um, 
I understand it's, it's not easy. And as you said, um, we have a lot of distractors and, um, you know, electronic devices, messaging and, and things like that, which I think can stop us from really engaging with the outdoors sometimes. So almost we might be outdoors, so we might be partly there, but actually if we're not noticing what's around us and, and sort of fully embracing it, I wonder it, whether we're getting all the benefits we could. Uh, I mean, for me, um, I try and make sure that I don't have sort of the the work email distractions and, and things like that. So even leaving uh, the mobile phone or any other device at home, I think can possibly help. Um, and I think people, I know, I know some of my friends and, and colleagues have said that actually some of their, their teenagers have really enjoyed the experience of um, some family walks and things during lockdown. Um, and I think perhaps during lockdown, there were less options of things that we could do. <laughs> so perhaps enjoy, you know, the actions that we could and, and embrace that really. Mm -hmm. So what do you think schools can do as well at the moment to try and make sure that they continue this after lockdown? A number of studies have said that our young um, people, our, our children, are, are not as connected with nature as perhaps previous generations may have been or, or are perhaps spending less time outdoors than previous generations may have done. Um, so actually, I think schools can play um, an important part in promoting that connection with nature and help our children have some of the experiences um, that they may not be having outside of school. Um, one of the things I talked about was the idea of a school sort of developing almost like a, a nature passport, I called it. Um, and the idea of that is that a school might think about what are the nature experiences that we want our children um, to have and um, sort of you know, create a list around this. Um, and that would be focusing on the deficits of the things that children haven't had the chance to experience um, perhaps outside of school or yet, uh, but also the strength. So if a school has a pond or a really old oak tree on the grounds, you know, how can they um, make the most of that and really sort of celebrate what's, what's on their doorstep? So we talked about um, things like children being able to listen to birdsong and identify, identify birdsong, grow sunflowers, grow something that they can then cook with and eat or, or eat raw. Um, just it, simple experiences that really sort of help them connect. And I think that list would hopefully be just a starting point. So actually schools and, and teachers and hopefully children at home would then hopefully build on those experiences. Mm -hmm. um, so that was one idea. And I think the some of the subject leaders I know have, have kind of taken that away and, and are sharing that back in school because mm -hmm. I think a connection to nature shouldn't just be something that we look at in the science curriculum. So mm. I don't think it should just exist as a, a pocket there, actually. I think we should be looking at how we can um, promote a connection to nature throughout the curriculum. Um, we also talked about the fact that there's so many wonderful books um, that talk about, you know, the and show the joy of animals and, and plants. Um, and there's so many opportunities for writing 
One of my favourite um, books that I discovered uh, in the last year is The Lost Words um, and also The Lost Spells uh, by Robert McFarlane and Jackie Morris. And I know many schools um, love those books. Robert McFarlane um, wrote The Lost Words after discovering that some nature words had been removed from the Oxford Junior Dictionary um, because they weren't commonly used by children anymore. And some of these words are things like acorn, bluebell, uh, dandelion, and nectar, I think, was in there as well. You know, words of plants and, and things that we do sort of commonly see around us. And it would be such a shame if, if children lost that vocabulary. Mm -hmm. um, so the Lost Words and the Lost Spells are, are two beautiful books that really help celebrate these, these words, this vocabulary um, and the natural world. And I think there's so many um, books and, and opportunities out there for children to explore nature through um, other curriculum areas as well. And what do you think parents can do as well to support schools and pupils with their learning and their connections to nature? So the idea of the nature passport actually came from um, something the National Trust have. So the National Trust have a 50 things to do before you're 11 and three quarters um, sort of list on their website. And I think there's some fantastic things on there um, for parents to think about activities to do outside with their children. There's also um, the Wildlife Trust in June have a, a campaign called 30 Days Wild um, and it includes random acts of wildness, uh, which I think is a lovely idea. Um, so you can download packs from the website um, for that. Um, and again, just lots of simple ideas that get children outdoors and enjoying what's around them. And I think one of the things we can all do with children is encourage them to notice. I like that idea that I mentioned earlier of, of putting on our plant glasses or our wildlife glasses to kind of really look at what's around us. And I think when we're interested, that helps to sort of harness and develop that natural curiosity that the children have. Um, my uh, godson is obsessed with insects and, and um, uh, invertebrates at the moment. He his favourite activity is just turning over bricks or plant pots in the garden and, and looking at what is underneath there. Um, and when his parents or, or other adults are there with him and talking to him about you know, what he's found and what he noticed, um, you can really see that curiosity sort of develop and, and light up in him. Um, so I think that that's something we can do as well. Finally, my last question. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're working on at the moment and what audiences shouldn't miss out on? I'm really excited about a blog I'm finishing writing this week um, and due to release soon, which has ideas for connecting with nature. Um, so within it, I talk about lots of the um, insects that are around at the moment that you can um, spot quite easily and explore and engage with. Um, so something that I've really enjoyed writing. So that will be released soon. Um, you can sign up to our blogs on the um, Hearts for Learning homepage. If you scroll down, uh, there's a link there to, to sign up to those blogs. Um, I've also written a blog about um, some 
books that link to science and actually many of those have a nature theme to them too. I also try and share ideas for connecting with nature that are topical and happen throughout the year. So things like the RSP um, Garden Birdwatch um, and various other competitions. We have a Twitter account um, that uh, people could follow at HFL Science. I also try and, and celebrate some of the uh, things children are doing within schools um, to connect with nature through that. If you'd like to join our mailing list for these emails, um, then visit the link in the podcast description to sign up. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me today, Charlotte. As always, it's a pleasure to talk to you and your passion for science and education really comes through. It's a real joy. So thank you so much to our audience for listening. We look forward to you joining us for more podcasts in the future. Thank you. Thank you.